we left his car in Dawson City for two or three days after the alternator went out so we could go up and do the part. The best part of the rally that year was to, was to drive up the Indians up to the Northwest Territories and then 110 miles up the Mackenzie River to a place called Tatiatuk, which is an island in the, in the Beaufort Sea that you can only get to uh, by boat in the summer or by driving in the winter up the ice road. Episode 119, the Alcan 5000 Rally with Jerry Hines. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Hey guys, I need to offer up an apology on this episode. Uh, Jerry Hines did a great interview, but for some reason my my microphone on my end was muffling a bunch of my questions. So hopefully you can hear through that and uh, understand what I'm saying enough to uh, enjoy the interview. Welcome back to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Travis Parsons. The Alcan 5000 is a rally where experience, good judgment, consistency, reliability, and resourcefulness are rewarded at the finish line since the competitors are penalized for arriving too soon just as much as they are for taking too long. These 5,000-mile rallies place private teams on equal footing with their factory team competition. Rally Master Jerry Hines is here with me today to tell us all about this awesome-sounding rally. Jerry, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, I'm excited to hear about this uh, this event. One of our, our listeners, uh, Jesse, pointed it out to me and said, hey, you guys should get... Uh, get Jerry Hines on the show to talk about the Alcan 5000. And that was the first time I had ever heard about it. And uh, I, after the research I've been doing, it just looks like it's a blast. Great. Well, I want to thank both you and Jesse Travis. Yep, absolutely. All right. So let's start from the beginning. Um, in talking to you, you've been rally racing for uh, how many years were, you know, since 1965. So you've been participating for that long. Give us a little bit of a, a background on what it is that got you started and, uh, and obviously what made you continue all these years doing it. Well, I started as a freshman in college, actually, in December of that year. Uh, my freshman year, I ran into a friend from high school in the ski slope, and he said, hey, I'm going on this rally tomorrow. Do you want to try it? And I said, I have no idea what a rally is, but sure. So, uh, so we did so, and uh, I was hooked. And before I, I did those, a lot of weekends during college, I actually organized my first one during college, I think it was for a friend in a friend in a sorority. We had a rally for their sorority on, on, the, on, the, on, a, on a Sunday and uh, went on a lot of really fun ones, uh, that some of which still exist. Um, so I kind of proceeded from there. I got out of college, and uh, when I could afford it, got into performance rallying instead of time-speed distance rallying. That started in the United States in 1973 with our SECA Pro Rally Series and Sports Car Club of America. And I did that from 1973 through 90-ish and uh, uh, organized organized events. I think I was rally master for quite a few SEC events starting in 76 or 7 through about well, through the late 80s and was on our national rally board for a while also. <laughs> so you have a history steeped in rallying. So what is the difference between a performance versus a, uh, what was the other, time speed and distance? Yeah, the time, speed, and distance is usually what people think of rallying. Rallying at it's this—you you picture a couple of guys in an MG, MGA, 
driving down a road at exactly 34.5 miles an hour on a, and so forth on a Sunday afternoon. And, and, uh, that's a lot of fun. Um, I mean, I did it for, for quite, quite a good many years and still, still do on occasion. But, uh, in, in the end, it's, it's a little bit boring. The Great American Race is probably the prime example people would recognize of that sort of rallying. And it's, it's a wonderful event. They drive across the United States staying on time all day long. And it's, uh, it's about as, to me, it's about as fun as watching paint dry. Um, the, uh, <laughs> we st- I started the performance rallying, which is off-road closed stage rallying, um, in 1973 when the SDCA started that. They've been doing it in Canada a little while longer. Uh, and I ran, with, with, I, I grew up in Seattle area, so we ran events in both Canada, mostly BC and Alberta and Washington and then the West Coast. Um, and we, we had a, have a real, real, real thriving series for quite a while. That, that's still going on in the U.S. Some of the popular names people have recognized from that sport are, are John Buffum, who was the U.S. champion many, many times, uh, Rod Millen, who, uh, whose son is still competing in, uh, in stadium, stadium races and that kind of stuff. Um, and well, I mean, quite, a, quite a few others. And, uh, we, uh, you know, I found that to be a lot of fun. What I found out, and I ran, I ran some of those events some silver events in Mexico, attempted events around the world in uh, England and uh, England and India and so forth. I attended the Rally Himalaya in the late 80s, Rally Himalaya, um, as a uh, service crew. And uh, what, I, what I discovered after a while is that what I enjoyed the most about rallying, even even like on the West Coast, was the trips to and from there and seeing all the things and so forth. So that's really where our Alcan rally, rally started. We, we stole the format. Rally I'd run in Mexico called the uh, Rally International, be about 24 hours. And what they did instead of doing time, speed, distance all the time and driving with the co-driver with their head down, calculating all day long, is they split the thing between transit sections where you've got from from A to B through the city or through a place that um, wasn't suitable, and they put you out on secondary roads, and they'd have closed sections where you had a you had a target speed, but it was impossible to make. And fortunately, they were out in the middle of nowhere. Fortunately, it was another country where, where nobody seemed to care. And that was a heck of a lot of fun. I did that event a couple of times uh, with, with friends in our club. And then and they, they began to get a pretty good American contingent showing up uh, in about in the, oh, I said, I think I did it in 88 and 80. No, I'm sorry, I did it in 78 and 79. Um, and they... We stole the format for our Alcan. So instead of being a TSD rally all the time, we do we broke it up into not proponent sections, but into uh, uh, well, I'm sorry, they had TSD sections also. So they had some TSD sections that were timed very precisely. And then as the night wore on, it was a 24-hour event. They got more and more difficult to make. So by the, by by morning, it was it became a race. Um, we don't do that on our on our Alcan event. We do do the break where we spend 80 or 90% of the time just going from A to B or, or C to D and tell them to be there at the end and here's what time they start the next section. And then we do maybe a couple of 20, 30, 40 mile, uh, 20 or 10, 20, 30 mile time sections for uh, called regularity sections where you're, you have to be exactly on the same time. On, on the, you're, you're where you're penalized for earlier late. I'm not explaining this well, but the, uh, that's what time, speed, and distance, the early start rallying starts for stands for and that's the uh, that's the intent is that you get penalized for either being early or late so there's no advantage to speed um 
And there's always actually there's reasonable excuses for being delayed for which we we won't score a section. We had a school bus on a road we didn't plan on seeing on seeing that kind of traffic on. We 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 would we tell people in advance they can they can anticipate we'll scrub that section and not score it rather than ask people to drive past a school bus or the flag out or something like that. So we have some safety valves in place. Uh, but uh, other than that, it's a lot of fun. We can you can see the territory and really enjoy the scenery and. Uh, Yet there's a competitive aspect too. Uh, in our winter events, we actually do some ice racing. Also, we have one car at a time on either a, uh, either like an eighth mile or quarter mile oval from the summer, where they they'll plow it for us in the winter up north and let us use it, or or more often on frozen lakes and rivers. We've run those on the Yukon River. We're running one of those. Uh, we're running those this year um, in our February event in uh, Yellowknife Northwest Territories. We're spending two nights there, and we have a day off and. We're working with a local snowmobile and well, that snowmobile and cars. They race both of them up there in the winters with in the winter with studs and so forth. And uh, um, so they're letting us use a course they plow for that. Uh, similar thing in Fairbanks. There's a course, uh, a couple of options there. Um, the one we're probably going to do is kind of a public course down on the river that uh, they just let people go out and play on or practice on. Okay. Yeah. When I was researching, I saw that and uh, some of the races they had. Uh, come to certain checkpoints and had to do these slalom races or uh, ice course or, or something like that. So that kind of adds a little bit of the the uh, racing element into it because you're very careful to call this a rally and not a race because the whole point of it is to to keep your speed in check uh, to the extent that you get penalized for getting there too early. So the the slalom section or the ice race, one car on a track, keeps it safe but allows people to actually go out there and get their best time, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, we've, we've done this since 1984, and we wouldn't, we, we wouldn't be welcome up there anymore if we were bad actors and we're, we're terrorizing the, uh, the natives, even though it's up in the middle of nowhere in a lot of cases. So we really are concerned about that, about our image, and about, about being able to ensure the event year after year. So the ice racing is a good compromise. We have a closed course that's controlled. We have one car at a time rather than wheel-to-wheel, -wheel, so it's kind of like your, your uh, um, autocross thing in a parking lot you see uh, all times a year, or mostly in the summer down here, and uh, you uh, and it's but it, it's one but it's one it's not wheel to wheel, so it's safe. We don't actually only allow one person per car for that, and it's also uh, fantastic for camaraderie because people get to stand around and watch everybody else make fools of themselves. Um, <laughs> the, uh, whereas usually they you know people will gather up at night, of course, and gather up at the start of some of these sections. We st all the cars run a minute apart, so you're not seeing. You see the same people every day because you're you're a minute you're a minute or two ahead or behind them, but you uh, you don't uh, you don't have much time to gather during the day. There usually isn't a lot of extra time to stop for a long lunch during the day. We allow time for for scenery, but not for for things like lunch. We'd rather get people in you know before dark if we can and then spend a lot of time dawdling during the day. And then when we the places that are that we really like like Yellowknife. And uh, Fairbanks, we 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 spend two nights there and get people a day off or some some things to go see that uh, really make it worth. You, know, you hate to be there and have to leave again the next morning, so that really adds yeah. to the local element. Yeah, that's nice to do. That it's a long way to travel to uh, to get in, get out real quickly, and not be able to see the place that you traveled to. So, 
What would some words of encouragement be? What would you have to say to people that were thinking, you know, rally racing sounds good. I would, uh, I would like to get on that list for, you know, the next seasons, or I should say that the next rally that, that comes up, what, how, what would you tell them and why they should do it? Well, it's, it's a, it's a lot of fun. A lot of that starts. It's just something to do on a, on a Friday evening or a Sunday afternoon with a, with a lady friend. That's a lot of what I did in college, um, which is a great, a great fun for a date. Um, the, uh, um, and you can be as serious as you want, as, as you want about it. Even, even at our rally, I can tell you that only really about a third of the people care that much how they do. Nobody wants to make a fool of themselves, but, uh, oh, not that there, there are not, not that many that would be really disappointed if they screw something up badly. The, the first or second day. Um, you know, I've had that happen once where a fellow who was a past two-time winner um, did got a calculation wrong the first day and, and was exactly one minute off on all the controls for the first half of the day. And he came to me that night and he says, you know that I'm competitive. And I said, yeah. I said, you know that I can't win this rally after a, you know, after 10 minutes of penalties. Our average winner would win with about uh, a minute for the whole event. And he said, yeah. And I said, yeah. And he said, you know, there's a pro rally, a performance rally next weekend that I still could win. Would you be, would be, would you be offended if I went home? And I said, no, Jim, I know, I know how competitive you are and that's just fine. But that's the exception. Most people are just there for the fun and winning and losing is, is, is an extra. Um, Right. Well, that's the cool thing about how the rally's set up that it's for the it's for the the everyday person, guy or girl that wants to get out there with a car that I imagine has a few tweaks, but it's generally a road car. Um they can compete against people that are competitive, but they're really competing against themselves and against the clock at that point. Yeah, that's right. And there's a lot of uh uh there's a lot of preparation that goes into it that's fun too and we have we have our our regular rally website, uh, which is alcan5000.com, but we're also we also have a Facebook group, and we have a, a Yahoo discussion group for more technical stuff. And it's it's amazing how many postings are out there right now with people uh, um, asking questions about car preparation, about tires, and about antifreeze and and lights and this and that. And uh, the uh, it's in some, it's it's fun fun to do, and it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. I tell people, I I try and talk people out of doing things that are really complicated and expensive. And uh, you know, the the rule of thumb is the the first thing that will fail as you as you head north or go out on any long excursion is uh, the last thing you work on. So you really have to do these things well in advance and make sure they work well. We had one fellow who was a Detroit uh, retired Detroit policeman who won our event a number of times, uh, who uh, was very very capable and experienced, and he decided one year that having 100% antifreeze must be better than 50%. Well, it's definitely <laughs> not. I think the maximum is 60 or maybe two-thirds is the maximum you'd want to try. And what happens at the hot low, with the solid stuff is not only is, it doesn't exactly freeze, but it turns to slush at cold temperatures. And we had 60, 63 below that here. And it's something after 50 below, basically his radiator all slushed up and overheated, and he pulled into a. We were we were driving uh, real late at night up into Dawson City in the Yukon, and he he ended up about a hundred about a hundred miles south of there, in the shop at some at some some road at uh, um, some some crossing up there. He was fortunate enough to find a place that had a big heated shop and a mechanic there who used to be an aircraft mechanic. This was a Subaru uh, motor, so it was more like an aircraft than anything. And between them and 
some tech support they got from Subaru on the way they managed to fix a seal that had blown on the thing and get him back in the rally. But uh, it was uh, it was pretty embarrassing for him because everybody assumed that he knew better. And, uh, in fact, many of us don't know as much as we think we do. Oh, yeah. And that's where that camaraderie uh, and having fun with the rally comes into play. If you get on the, the Facebook and the Yahoo groups like you were talking about, you can ask questions like that if you're not afraid to, to look dumb. But, you know, people that are, might be really competitive don't want to say, well, I think I have a, a competitive advantage here by running this uh, 100% antifreeze. You know, <laughs> you probably could have found out the answer was, uh, was a little different than you thought it was and probably done well in the race after that. <laughs> yeah, that's right, too. We had another fellow, again, in a Subaru a few, some years ago, one of our club members, who's a, a past president of our club, actually, um, the, uh, that decided that he had to have a heavier-duty alternator because he wanted to run a really good stereo because he really liked, liked music on the road. And he, uh, <laughs> We left his car in Dawson City for two or three days after the alternator went out so we could go up and do the, part, the best part of the rally that year was to, was to drive up the Indian up to the Northwest Territories and then 110 miles up the Mackenzie River to a place called Takiatuk, which is an island in the, in the Beaufort Sea that you can only get to uh, by boat in the summer or by driving in the winter up the ice road. Um, so it's kind of a major road up there in the winter because they haul most of their supplies um, up there when the ice is frozen. But uh, anyway, his 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 brand new fancy alternator he had just had rebuilt to be heavy duty um, died in uh, in Dawson City, and turned, by the time he got back to Dawson City at the end of that those, that two day trip, um, he found out somebody else had a spare alternator along that they gave him to put it back together. But it was uh, again the 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 rule that you shouldn't mess with things that aren't that you're not sure about. <laughs> yeah, well, that's part of the learning too, I guess. <laughs> so let's go into the kind of the nuts and bolts of the Alcan 5000. I want to know what it is. It's obviously a long race, so tell me about that, and also tell me what people can expect if they've never done it before and they did happen to get on the uh, on the roster. What is it they can expect? in the beginning, leading up to the run, and the actual rally itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we st- when we started this in 1984, I said we copied this Mexican format, but because I came from a performance rally background, a lot of our entrants did that year. So we started off with thinking it was going to be one sort of event, being real competitive. We had some all-night drives and so forth. And then as we learned from doing this successive years um, since 1984, that it was the... It was the time off that was that people remember and so forth. And we, we stopped doing all night drives some years ago. And it's really much more approach, approachable for a for for a couple than it used to be. We have a lot of women coming along. We still still most of our teams, of course, are probably two men. But we have uh, have lots of lots of couples, and we have had you know all all women teams. And uh, we uh, um, I'd say that a it's a big adventure. Um, we call it a gentleman's sport, which is what rallying started as at, at the turn of the turn of the century in the early 1900s. The early rallies back then used to have a, a driver and a mechanic and an observer from the automotive club on board, so that he couldn't nobody, so everybody was sure they didn't cheat. I'm talking about England, of course, and uh, just the way you, you did things in those days. And uh, we have a lot of rules, but our rules are rules are are geared toward what I call a level, a level playing field. In other words, we don't. For the winter rally, nobody can, for, for summer or winter, nobody can bring more than six tires. If you have more than two tire, two flats, you have a problem, and you you can find them along. You can find more along the way, but if you only have six, you're maybe going to be a little more careful than you would if you had unlimited. And it doesn't let somebody with unlimited money 
put four new tires on halfway through, um, the, uh, which we think is important. You also can't have a service crew as, as you could in most fancy competitive rallies. You can have somebody follow you along. We don't allow that. We don't even allow prearranged help unless it's something that's available to everybody. Um, so, you know, we had, for instance, the year, one of the years we went up to, to talk the yuck truck on the ice road there, there's some chuck holes. And we had, uh, a couple, well, two cars, I'll contrast, that, that had flat tires on that road. One of them was a, uh, um, one of them was a, a Mazda and one was a Subaru. And the Mazda, they, had, they both, in, in this case, they both had two last, two front, two flat tires on the same side of the car because they had both tires in the same chuck hole. They each had two spares. The guy with the Mazda put the two spares on and, and went back south. He said, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I can't obviously drive up here with no tires. The other guy in the Subaru, <laughs> is a guy from Berkeley, California, and pretty pretty happy go lucky. Says, "Well, you know, this rally's full of Subarus, and somebody will loan me some tires." And he kept going. You know, they both found some tires by the next day to replace their spares. But uh, um, you know, there's there's a good reason for there's a good excuse for whatever approach you want to take. And it's it's some, there's some gamesmanship involved, and just some also some camaraderie when you start helping people. If somebody goes in the ditch, nobody's going to drive by them. They're going to stop and help. And that becomes a lot of the fun afterwards, particularly after you see the pictures on Facebook. Yeah, the stories about pulling Joe out of the ditch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Six-foot snow bank, you know, they got to be just as much as running the, the rally in and of itself. Yeah, fortunately, snow is pretty forgiving. So, uh, but we, and I, I just tell people, they, we have a long, we have a driver's meeting, actually almost a half a day meeting on uh, on the day before we leave, where we talk about, we talk about the basics. We do, we've, in past years, we frequently had a cold weather survival expert talk about this with people in the winter. Um, and uh, I just tell them that they need to remember they have to driving. You can't drive even 95% of what you think your limits are for a week and not and not be sure that you, you're going to go see them at some point. We also call it running out of talent. But the um, um, you just have to pace yourself and you have to remember that it's really cold out there and uh, and it's 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 it can be dangerous. Our, it's funny, but our, our we keep track of statistics and accidents and so forth, and we actually have uh, our best um, uh, our best results in the winter. People seem to be more cautious. I we get a different group, or or whether it's just the roads are smoother. But uh, and I can also tell you from from our statistics that uh, only 20% of our entries are press on the average, but uh, that 70% of all our recorded accidents which we try and keep pretty good track of our press. So uh, we really watch those guys. And oh, interesting. Driving like it's not their car. Yeah, they get, some, get in somebody else's vehicle, somebody else is paying the bill, and all of a sudden they're, uh, <laughs> they're a big Baja racer. <laughs> Makes it really easy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. For 20 years, Bent Gate Mountaineering has been outfitting climbers, skiers, backpackers, and outdoor enthusiasts with the gear they need. Whether climbing an 8,000-meter peak or buying your first backcountry ski setup, Bent Gate is here to help. Bent Gate is continuing to offer free BC 101 sessions this winter, teaching backcountry ski boot and binding setup, avi safety and beacon practice, clothing systems, and tips and tricks to make your days more enjoyable. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment. Bentgate also has free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a chance for hands-on experience. Be sure to check Bentgate.com for our full product selection as well as updates on all these events.
While doing your holiday shopping this season, be sure to stop by 180tac.com and pick up a camp stove for the adventurer on your list. The 180 stove and 180 flame are made right here in the United States and are sure to make your loved one a happy camper. Visit 180tack.com today. So tell me about uh, car setup. This is you can use just about anything in it. What are, are there, what are some limitations, and then what are some things that people must have? Um, they we have a list of, of required things. Again, our website at alcan5000.com actually has a list of of things we our regulations and things we expect. Where they have to have a tow rope, um, they have to have chains on board, even though you wouldn't use them except to get yourself out if you were really stuck. Uh, I'm talking just for winter here, of course, but um, just because some of the, some areas like Washington require chains on a, on a mountain pass, they might, they might, they can ask you to show them if they want, want, want to. Um, I can't think of more than once or twice anybody's put some on, but uh, uh, we require having lots of extra fluids and warm clothes on board for the winter. Um, the people who live up there always have a big bag of warm clothes and survival gear and so forth to keep in the car. It's just part of what what they do up there. Um, it's part of getting used to living up there. Um, we uh, you want we restrict them to a certain number of extra lights. Um, I think because again the laws, the state and provincial laws often often have that same restriction. You can, you know, we also don't want to put lights on the roof because those aren't legal anywhere that I know of, know of for street use. Um, and they're useless. Also, you put lights on your roof and and try and try and drive in the snow, and you won't be you won't be able to see all the way to the end of your hood. So there. Yeah, that's all you see is your hood at that exactly. point. <laughs> that's all you see. Um, but it's a good testing ground for things like that. We've had sponsors in the past that provided batteries to all the cars. Like when Optima first got started, we had free free Optima batteries for a few years for for the cars. We've had tire sponsors quite a few years, um, where everybody on the uh, on the event got six free tires for their car. We're actually hoping that's going to happen again this year, but we don't know that yet for sure. Um, and uh, so it's a great testing ground for, many, for for manufacturers. They really get behind some of these sponsored entries, and we have some very you know high-profile drivers that have done this, um, including uh, John Buffum that I was talking about, who's won this uh, won this before. Um, and we have uh, um, we also have a lot of you know just. We have the Walter Mitty types, and we and we just have husbands and wives who think this is great fun. It might be something they've always wanted to do, and they figure this is a safer way to do it, or a more sensible way to do it, because we have we have uh, five or six support vehicles along, including uh, including we're going to have at least uh, two big four by four trucks, um, plus an FJ Cruiser, and I'm I'll, I drive a Ford Excursion in the winter because they're um, you know, it's the easiest thing to pull somebody out, <laughs> out of the, out of a ditch with, and they hold, I, hold, I can hold lots of extra people in here. Uh, I think that's fine. Yeah. They also have a 44 gallon gas tank, which is really important to me in the winter. Oh wow, no doubt. Just to keep yourself uh, running the entire time as you're going around helping people and checking on parts of the rally. Right. So uh, I was watching some videos on it. Everybody seems to have. Uh, um, uh, Black rally computer of some sort. What? Tell me what that's all about. Well, we have 
we have classes. They can run with that. Um, they can run what's called seat of the pants, which means you can have no extra equipment besides what came in your car. You can have a pencil, pencil, paper, and a simple calculator. Um, or you can have uh, the full boat um, computer class. And those are those are you, basically the way those work. Is you on our on our time speed distance sections, our regularity sections. You start on your given minute, um, you know, with all the cars a minute apart, and you change speeds to match our speeds. Our speeds don't generally be five or ten five or ten percent below the speed limit. So we we know we're trying to behave. We can prove we're trying to not not encouraging people to to speed. Um, and they set they basically set the uh, the clock. There's a clock there that's set for the time of day, of course, and they set they they have um, they set the, you put the speed in and change that speed. Uh, we're flipping back and forth between two displays, so you can have your current speed and your next speed ready. So you just flip the switch when you change speeds, and then there's a big readout in front of the driver that says zero 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 if you're right, or it'll say minus one or minus two or whatever if you're behind, or plus one or plus ten if you're ahead. So that really makes it easier to keep on time, um, but it also distracts the co-driver. He's focusing all on that, and then you less on route instructions. So some of those teams will actually have three people, so they have you know more eyes on the ball. Um, and uh, it's I say it's competitive. The winners the winners typically um, will will average uh, one second or less per control for the whole week. So it puts a premium on consistency too in preparation because you can't have a flat tire and uh, change it in time to not lose many many places. You can't uh, um, you can't put yourself in a ditch in the middle of one of those. Uh, in one of those sections and, and recover from it and still and still do well typically. So it's and of course car preparation is part of that. The uh, um, we had uh, we tell people we 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 tell people that narrow snow tires are better than wide ones. But we in fact had uh, 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 they won't mind. We had Johnny Answer and Paul Gallenbach run for two or three years and they won it a couple times. And but they we had an ice race competition that they lost one year. They got beaten by two journalists from a car and driver road and track magazine in a uh, in a in a similar vehicle because the guy the journalist had the guy that prepared the journalist cars put really skinny snow tires on it and they had just gotten what was easy, which was big fat tires and it didn't work well. Uh, so it was great it was a great uh, uh, great equalizer, great lesson to everybody to watch it. And it was a lot of fun too to watch them get uh, get beaten by some basically club racer uh, journalists. Yeah, that makes me some fun stories. <laughs> yeah. So, is there something in place to keep somebody from running the stage too quickly and then just simply pulling over and stopping and waiting until they, until they catch up? Is there something in place to make sure they're always moving? Um, the Your typical TSD rally, time speed distance rally, uses controls that sit in the middle of the road and the cars come up and stop at them and then they give them a new out time to start the next section and so forth. Um, we don't we don't like that approach. Number one, because we don't want to we don't want to clutter the roads up with cars, um, and number two, because we don't we can't always get all of our controls to the place we think them to. We only have five or six timing crews, and and we're we're doing a lot of leapfrogging and looping around and so forth. So we are what we do is our controls are uh, well, you can call them hidden controls. They're not necessarily hidden. But in most cases, they're not going to know there's one until they drove by it, and they don't stop. We just write the time down as they go by. So we, it is really tempting, and a lot of people get 
get by with this by trying to run five or ten seconds early in case something happens and figure they can stop in time, but I'll guarantee they can't. I can remember one time, again, one of the fellows who's won our event a number of times from Michigan named Gene Henderson. Um, we, uh, and we, we do this, we do this more, much more often, but I can remember one time in particular, we had, we had a, they, we came into about a half, they came into about a half mile section again in the snow. They came over a hill, down and across a real, a one lane bridge and an S curve and back up the hill and so forth. And we sat at the top of all that where we could see the whole thing. And we timed when they hit, when they hit the one line bridge and we timed them again when they hit the top of the hill. And it was pretty hard to be on time both places. So Gene came up to me afterwards and he says, and we could see that everybody, there were three people in the car. We could see them all arguing as they went by and you know, <laughs> yelling at each other. And Gene came up and he said, he said, so which place did you time us at? I said, Gene, we timed it both places. Don't be silly. <laughs> and he says, yeah, I thought so. <laughs> It, uh, they were having a disagreement about uh, how to approach that particular situation. That's right, about which one they could be on time for, or whatever. But or that's about funny. so, yeah, it was it was and uh, and also cars we'd like to do those on until sections because the new cars with the fancy uh, analog traction traction system and so forth, uh, they won't let you spin the wheels. It's in a lot of cases going uphill in heavy snow or or in slick snow, you you really have to put your foot down just to keep the car going. And uh, we've had people go past us with their traction control, overriding their throttle, beating their hands on the steering wheel <laughs> because they can't go more than 15 miles an hour with an even 22 miles an hour up that hill. So it, uh, oh, I know that feeling. Uh, pulling a traction control is great until you need it, until you need the power of the engine and trying to pull out into traffic or something. I remember uh, being in a, a Toyota that just had really aggressive ta- traction control and trying to cross traffic in the snow. It was during rush hour, and the only thing you could do is punch it. And you'd punch it, and you'd get about a third of the way out of there, and the engine would just rob all your power, and then you're staring at the guy bearing down on you. So yeah. I, can, I can relate. That's a frustrating feeling. No, that's absolutely right. And actually, in the snow, even your your ABS braking, which is magic, I love it. But um, if you're in heavier, in some, in anything heavy snow, the car actually stops faster with the ABS braking off because if you lock the wheels, it kind of builds a wedge of tire and of, of uh, snow in front of the tire that, that puts more drag on it. Now, right. the uh, um, the guys who are the experts at that are the Bridgestone Winter Driving School in uh, in Colorado, but and they they swear by traction control, but by ABS, and so do I. From for 99 percent of the the circumstances out there, but there's, there's occasional exceptions and yeah, I just want a way to turn that off if I have to. Yep, exactly. Elevate Conditioning's mission is to construct customized exercise programs based on solid mechanics and general progression. These allow clients to improve athletic performance while addressing limiting factors. You may not be an elite athlete. You have personal and professional responsibilities that make demands on your time. That doesn't mean that you don't have athletic goals and a desire to improve. Elevate Conditioning is here to teach you how to train your body to be the most powerful, effective, and efficient vehicle possible. Additionally, Elevate offers small group training, wilderness fitness adventures, and long-distance sessions via video. Find out more at www.elevateconditioning.com. The Bearline Plus by 180 Tech is the handiest Bearline utility cord system you can find. This is not your typical Bearline. Our lightweight cord system is designed to be compact, lightweight, frictionless, and very versatile. 
Don't risk losing your dinner. Hang it the right way. The Bearline Plus is designed to suspend food between two trees up to 40 feet apart and 15 feet above the ground with much less effort than other bear lines. Not only does the Bearline Plus keep your food away from bears, it is designed to be useful for many other needs including a motorcycle and ATV recovery system, tie-downs, straps, backpack repair, guy lines for tarp or tent, a tow line, block and tackle, and much, much more. Find your Bearline Plus at 180tech.com or retailers near you. All right, so how about uh, a story about the neatest thing that came out of either participating in rallies for you or being the rally master? What, what's a good story about uh, uh, rallying that uh, that you've experienced over all these years? Oh, well, there's no end of them, but uh, when you talk about being the rally master, I can, I can, I can tell you that it, we've had people that were ranked amateurs at this come out and do it and really get into it, um, and what we did uh we did these events in summer for the, we started in 84 and did them every year for until I got married in 1991 and then we slowed down with marriage and children to every other year but we did 84 85 86 and 87 all in summer and then we were looking for something different so we started doing winters in 88 to alternate between summer um in 86 we finished at Expo 86 in Vancouver BC which was fantastic they we got we all became Got exhibitors passes. They put our cars on display at the, at the in the stadium. We we had gone from Seattle Anchorage and then come back down and taken the ferry down to Vancouver Island and finished right on the Expo grounds. So it was it was amazing. We and I had uh, we had a couple of women that did this by themselves. Their husbands were were running and they said, well, we're not gonna we're not gonna stay home. This sounds like too much fun. So they got they grabbed this lady's Honda Accord and they came up to us the next morning and they said, we don't know what to do. They said, it's morning, and there's, we don't have any instructions to tell us what time to leave and what <laughs> where to go today. We're really confused. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they just grabbed themselves a car, and we're we're going. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, that's awesome. No, the, most of the stories are you know are people stories along the way. It really, uh, um, and we had, for instance, the guy that uh, that fixed Gene Henderson's car in the middle of nowhere, at, uh, um, up in the up in up a hundred miles south of Dawson city. I talked to him a few years later as I was coming through and, and, uh, I said hi and so forth. And he said something about Gene. He says, yeah, I get a Christmas card from Gene every year still. <laughs> so, That's great. That, uh, yeah. So it's, it, there's really a lot of long-term friendships made also. Yeah, I'm sure. So, so this is a race. I think you have roughly 30 teams in each race. So it's a pretty tight knit community each time you, you do these rallies, right? Yeah, it is. It is. We, this will be one of our, we're expecting right now we have 36 entries on our list. I'm expecting that to turn out to about 30 at the end because it's fine. You know, the final, some of these people have been entered for a year, a year and a half. And as things get closer, you know, life happens and I'm sure there's a few that won't be there, but, um, we, uh, we look at that as being, it's not that we couldn't take more. It's just that we, we start to, it starts to be a bit of, bit more of a burden with, with more than that to, to keep track of and more people, more people to pull out of ditches and so forth. And we, but we also have about 50% this year of return 
return entries. So that really helps us a lot because they become they do a lot of mentoring with the older people, and we have we have a team we have team awards too for teams of uh, three three or more cars, and with the stipulation that if they have a three car team, one of the teams has to be has to be novices that have not run this rally before. So that helps the mix a lot, and it helps. Uh, it helps us. It helps makes it easier for us to manage because they they have a lot more people to answer questions, to answer their questions, and to to tell them in advance. Well, uh, you know, to help them plan in advance. Everybody starts catching on after a day or two, but it, there's a bit of a learning curve. Um, so we're we're looking at that. We don't have a firm limit, but we're look we're expecting about 30. I'd like to have that many for budget reasons. We're a nonprofit, and we. If I if I was losing losing money on this, it would probably cost me rather than our club. So I can't do that. And uh, we uh, and it also makes it it's just more that's just a good number to work with. It's just like a lot of cars have three people, and uh, that can be more fun than two people sometimes. A lot more to right. talk about every day. Or we'll have journalists along, and then we'll between cars. We had uh, uh, Patricia Murphy from KOW that ran with us and rode with us in nineteen in two thousand two, and she must have ridden with a dozen different cars along the course of the event uh, and did a great, I think she won a, uh, uh, an award on NPR for her, for her, uh, her story on that, that year. Uh, that's cool. That would be a fun one to cover. <laughs> yeah. I don't blame her. Right. Right. Okay. So you mentioned the, the car club. We wanted uh, to give a little bit of shout out and credit to the, to the club because it's not just you and your wife doing this. You have some help at the same time. Why don't you go ahead and do that? Um, yeah, our, 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 officially our event is put on by the Rainier Auto Sports Club of, uh, of Bellevue, Washington. And, uh, they, uh, we're a nonprofit. The club's been in existence since the, uh, about 1967, I believe. I actually ran their first event, my first event of theirs in 1968 or so while I was in college. Um, and then I, when I started pro rallying in 1973, I, after I graduated and was living in Seattle, I hadn't actually I hadn't joined the club, but I totaled my my Porsche on the first rally I ran in 1973 by rolling it on a Rainier Auto Sports Club event, and I I decided to join the club rather than run their event again, and uh, I, <laughs> it's really been a lot of fun. We have a long term a lot of long term. We're not a big club. Our average meeting has you know a dozen or a dozen or so people, maybe 20 at the most, but we get. We'll get we'll get as many we'll get we'll get at least that many out to help events like this like the whole day of preparation beforehand we'll have uh, we'll have you know people out helping with registration and technical inspection and so forth the day before the rally in Kirkland and uh, we'll uh, our 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 staff we have we'll have uh, we we always have at least five staff vehicles and and we have staff from all over the country now we have. Have have staff members from the east, from the east coast, from South Carolina, and from 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 uh, San Clemente, California, and whatnot. That all kind of congregate for this and drive across the country to uh, to show up. But it's there. It's all it's all one big club, and with with the internet and Facebook and and email now, everybody kind of everybody stays in touch. We have some two of these guys, and, and again, about half of our staff are retired now. Uh, I retired a few years ago and lived in spent we still have a place near Seattle, a summer place, but I, I spend most of my time in Nevada now. And uh, we, uh, but it's a great, uh, you know, it's a great reunion for our staff too. We have people coming along this year who run, who got, did our first first event in 1984. And they're still, uh, you know, they might have given up a lot of other things they did at that age, but they're not giving this up because it's more approachable. In my mind, it's something you can keep doing. Um, whether, 
when you can't climb mountains anymore or, or maybe you don't care so much about skiing and boating anymore. This, they just keep showing up for this. And, and a lot of these guys go off and find their own things to do when, when we're not having an event. There, were, there was a group of four cars that went up uh, two years ago when we, when we had no winter event, just up to, up to the Arctic Circle, up to Yellowknife, and up to uh, up the ice roads up in, on, in uh, Northwest Territories just because they wanted something to do. Or they do two of these guys do tuk tuk tours in Vietnam and so forth, which are a little motorcycle thing. Right. Um, That's neat. <laughs> yeah, I'll guarantee this is a lot less expensive than doing that <laughs> than going to Australia or Vietnam to, to for your entertainment. Yeah, I would think. What a beautiful part of the world to to go see any time too, summer or winter. Yes. So let's talk about summer and winter a little bit. You, I wanted to clarify, you guys now do the race every other year. So you don't do a race every year. And then yeah. I think it's like every other race or you do two races winter, two races summer. Clarify that a little bit. We tell people it's like the Olympics. We do, we do a winter and summer event and there's, they're, they're two year. Each one is every four years. So uh, we, that means we have 18 months between, between our last summer event, which was August of 2014, and this winter event in late February of 2016, we have 18 months, and then I have 36 months. I'm sorry, I have I have 30 months till the next till the next one. But uh, okay, the um, and we and we don't we we're very careful not to use the ra- the word the word race. The, a pro rally, an off road uh, rally, is certainly a race. Um, we and you can call you can call our ice our ice event an ice race, even though they're one car at a time. They're just against the stopwatch. But uh, rallying. Rallying is definitely not a race um, because we we penalize for early and late, and because we also ride herd on people. We uh, if we had if we had police up there looking for us, we wouldn't get very far. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the locals the locals mad. We wouldn't be very welcome next time. <laughs> and, uh, when, you, when you bring thirty cars or 40, 30, 35 cars through a small town up there, I'll guarantee everybody notices. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, I will. Uh, I will try my darndest to say r- rally, but I just want to it's say difficult. race the whole time. <laughs> yes, yes. We had somebody okay. show up. We have a. We have a. We, we we have to cover that in our regulations too, because guys love to put that on their on their decals. And we have a we have a regulation that says you can't your decals. No, none of your decals in the car can say race, unless it's something that's a manufacturer's item like Fox Racing Shocks or <laughs> or whatever. That uh, no team's name no team name name could say race and no race decal no nothing that says race in your car because it's not one we don't want a policeman to stand there looking at that asking me to explain it. That's um, funny. Don't use the four letter R word, use the five letter R word. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> So how about a time when uh, things didn't quite go right? We always like to ask that question because it always makes for a, a fun story. Well, you know, it's it's funny, but our it wasn't funny at the time. But our the the most the most accident ridden event we've ever had was the very first one in two thousand in two thousand in nineteen eighty four. Um, partly, partly because we was most of the guys were pro pro rally experience and so forth, and we had uh, we had a uh, that was the only serious injury accident we've ever had. We had three we had three two journalists and, the, and, a, and a relative of one of them who rolled their car near Watson Lake uh, coming back out of Alaska. The fellow who rolled the car, both of them, uh, one of them was Sash Carlson, who's a journalist who wrote an auto week and so forth for a long time and actually got us. It was his, his, um, his writing about it that got us 23 cars the first event we had that year um, at, the only, at our very first event, which was in 84. And he had a, a brand new Saab 900 turbo from Saab. 
Um, Satch was Satch was pretty, you know, a very experienced driver. He, but the other another guy from the Alaska paper there, who was a journalist with a with an SCCA racing license and racing experience, rolled the car. This is summer, you know, middle of August, middle of September, something like that. Beautiful weather. Rolled the car coming into uh, coming down just before uh, Watson Lake before we made an all-night drive down the Cassiar Highway. And uh, he was ex- he was not wearing his seatbelt. He was thrown from the car and broke his pelvis, which is pretty serious. Um, Satch Carlson had it, broke his collarbone. He was laying down in the back seat um, reading the paper or something like that. And uh, the other guy had to ha- had uh, hit his head on the, on the, ro- on a, on the roll cage and, and had to have uh, a whole bunch of stitches taken. So it was pretty bad. They actually did a helicopter evacuation for the... Uh, for the guy who broke his pelvis, and uh, they uh, they left the Saab there. Unfortunately, the um, Saab didn't mind the car being wrecked as much as they minded having to go get it because the BC government refused to let them leave it there. Um, and we really had to, you know, sit back and think about it after after that happening our first year. We're really lucky we kept doing we really keep doing the event every year. I think I think by my current records, we've we've totaled or damaged about six or seven cars. Of, through those years in '87, we had an Audi 5000 that was loaned to us by Audi that was for a press car. Um, that was totaled when a local turned left in front of it in, in the middle oh, of no. an empty, completely empty section of the road. Um, we had a Volkswagen Golf. Some guys from back in, by Chicago that that ran into that ran into something on in 1988. We had a GMC Yukon driven by the wife of our past winner, two-time winner Tim Patterson, rolled in 1996. Uh, coming into Alaska, and uh, we had a Subaru um, press car rolled in 1998, and uh, another Subaru uh, legacy press car rolled in 2002 by a Seattle journalist. It's actually Patricia Murphy was a passenger in that car. And, uh, the car didn't go any further, but uh, uh, she climbed in with some journalists from Forbes magazine and finished, the, finished the, the trip after having a serious discussion with them about who was driving and how fast they were going. So... Um, <laughs> And it's actually gotten better. We I can't think of any any vehicle we've told in the last in the last ten years. Unfortunately, we were fortunate enough there were no injuries in those years, except for the except for 1984. Yeah, so it sounds like you got some banged up sheet metal, but but no major injuries to to contend with after the the first set there. That's good. Yeah, actually, I worked I worked for the Seattle Times newspaper for a lot of years and did in, in IT, and I I I, I kept real real good track of fleet averages and so forth. And I can tell you that in that our our average is way better than uh, the most fleet averages. We average uh, four, uh, 260,000 miles, 200, 260 to 400,000 miles per accident. And so that's that's pretty good for yeah. for a couple million no miles doubt. in all the years we've done this. No doubt. Now, tell me a little bit about the uh, the the summer rally uh, before our last question. I did I see that motorcycles are allowed to run in that as well? In the summer rally, yes. Not originally, but we had some come to us in 2002 and say, hey, what would it take to have a motorcycle class? And, and we talked about it, and we said, well, two motorcycles. And this last event in 2014, we had, I think we had 30 motorcycles and uh, uh, 15 cars, something like that. Was, oh, that's cool. That's up my alley. Yeah, yeah. The dual sport crowd just really loves that. And we also go places in the summer that they couldn't go by themselves because we can go up a long remote road a couple hundred miles and bring fuel 
for them and set up a campsite and so forth. And the, motorci- the motorcycles are lucky to be able to go more than about 250 miles on a tank. So for a 400-mile trip is something that their friends can't compete with without support. So it's a lot of bragging rights. We don't, we don't do prize money, and uh, nobody really cares. They want the souvenirs, and they want bragging rights. Oh, very cool. Well, since you said that, I might have to uh, sign up one of these years then. That sounds like a blast, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to have you. <laughs> all right, so the last question, we like to try and end up with a funny story. So all these years of doing this, you must have a, a funny story or two that you can share. <laughs> well, we probably have a few. One of the, uh, we've all you know, most of them, most of them probably involve broken down cars and so forth. Um, the uh, um, one of the one of the more amusing ones, from my perspective, um, we're, we're on a course survey. I I did I I uh, I do a lot of things on course survey. I tell people not to do on the rally, like carry spare fuel and so forth. But uh, um, we're very careful about not letting any. You know, don't, obviously don't let anybody carry, carry any spare fuel in the vehicle during the rally. But uh, <clears throat> we were driving up there. Um, we were driving up there in a uh, caravan, and uh, I was blitzing along someplace near Fort Nelson in the broad daylight, and the transmission exploded literally. It just stopped. It just blew up, and I got out of the car with a can full of fluid to put in it just in case it only had a leak. And there was the whole bo- hole underneath of the car was transmission fluid. So I got it towed into town and actually managed through some just car club connections and so forth and wrecking yard connections to uh, to get a transmission flown up there within about uh, 36 hours and installed locally and kept going. Um, the uh, um, so that wasn't as funny as it was a huge relief because it uh, um, the uh, my wife and I on we were married in 2001 and she was up there doing the course survey with me in June of 2001. I'm sorry, 1991, 1991. Um, and uh, we were driving off. We'd gotten a little behind sightseeing or whatever. And we were driving all night through this section coming a little, little ways still still in in uh, uh, between B.C. and the Yukon. And we're driving along at oh, about midnight, but it wasn't quite dark yet, of course, because the, uh, the long, long nights up there in the, in the summer. And there's an owl coming toward us on the road carrying a rabbit. And I hit the brakes and tried to stop. And he I, he must have just picked it up because he was trying to get altitude. And he he I missed hitting the rabbit with the hitting the hitting the owl, but the brake at the top left the, the, the rabbit hit at the top left corner of my windshield, um, which scared the bejesus out of both of us. And we looked <laughs> back in the taillights, we came to a stop, looked back in the taillights and watched the owl come back and get the rabbit and take off again. <laughs> he said, "I worked hard for that, man." <laughs> the, the wildlife settings up there are amazing. We, 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 you just see just an incredible amount of stuff. There's a lot of bison, bison up there, both up on the way to Yellowknife and along the road on the way to Fairbanks and uh, summer and winter. And oh of, yeah, you know, it's really, really becomes a, a big scoreboard each night. People show show their photos of what they saw, what they saw that day, and you can all drive down the same road, and it's amazing how many different things. Uh, people see than you saw. Oh, yeah. I imagine uh, half the fun is sharing the experience with everyone else. You know, it's it's as, as, as much amazing as the actual rally itself. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, and that's it's been really fun the last few years, both the spot and the Delorme um, GPS devices. We actually require every, we 
we have for our winter, for our summer rally, we make the motorcycles pair up, you know, like you did in Boy Scouts and Buddy System and so forth. Um, and in the, in the winter, we make the cars pair up too. It doesn't mean they have to stay, drive with the same car all the time, but they have to be near them and, and keep an eye on them. So if somebody goes off the road and off into a snowbank and makes a hole we might drive by, we want somebody to be there that said, that knows that happened. They can call us on the radio. We also have to, everybody also has to have, uh, uh, business or ham capable, um, two-way communication. For, their, for for security because we those will go 20 or 40 miles in the winter and we want it really helps to know what's happening up and down the road but uh, they uh, anyway it's um, it, it adds to the camaraderie also yeah yeah makes a lot of sense all right well cool I think that sounds like an amazing adventure um, you had mentioned Facebook and Yahoo groups as well as the the Rainier Autosports Club site and the alcan5000.com so i'll uh, get all of you uh, i'll get all of those uh, from you after uh, we sign off here and make sure they get them uh, posted up in the show notes so everybody can come check it out and maybe uh, enter the, the rally themselves one of these days well, that sounds great travis thank you very much and we, i can tell you that uh, our habit is we will finish this event on the fourth uh, of uh, um here. On the fourth of March at the in Anchorage, the day before the Iditarod starts, and it's always been our habit to uh, to pass out entry forms that night at our awards banquet. So by the fifth or seventh of, of, of March, you'll be able to you'll be able to look on the web and find the itinerary and entry forms and so forth for our 2018 event. Very cool. Well, I'll have to check that out myself, and hopefully, we send a few people your way, and maybe you can get them in there. So. <laughs> Jerry, thanks so much for spending a little time with me and explaining the Alcan 5000. I think it sounds like a true blast. Thank you very much, Chris. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Be sure to swing by iTunes and Stitcher to subscribe there so you can hear all of our episodes as they become available. And don't forget to share the Adventure Sports Podcast with your friends and family on Twitter and Facebook. Everybody deserves a little adventure in their ears. Adventure Sports Podcast.